Ecclesiastes 7. So, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that's like, it's all comparisons? Like, would you rather have this or would you rather have that? I have. My daughter, when she was about nine, my oldest, we were driving in my Volkswagen van. My son Elijah was in the car seat. He was like two, he was asleep. And she looked at me and she said, dad, and she knows how much I love my Volkswagen van. She said, dad, if there was a fire, would you save your Volkswagen van or would you save Elijah? I'm like, that's an easy one. I'd save Elijah. She goes, okay, okay, okay. If there's a fire and you could only save one, would you save your Volkswagen van or would you save Chloe, our dog? I looked at her. I said, who would you save? She said, Chloe. I said, that's great. I will never answer that question. I know better. <laughs> Solomon is going to do that for this whole chapter. Which one is better, right? He keeps going back and forth, comparing and contrasting. And I said it must be three weeks ago that chapter seven is a hinge point in the book of Ecclesiastes. One through six, lots of angst. It's the great experiment. Will sex make me happy? Will power make me happy? Will reputation make me happy? Will achievement make me happy, right? He just goes for it in every way possible. He gets to chapter seven and it's like, I can almost see a space of a decade going by before he picks the book up to finish it because he's less angsty now. And it's more like coffee with grandpa. So instead of like poking holes and why are things this way and why is it that way and doesn't make any sense. Now it's almost like, hey, let me give you some wisdom. I've been through this. I've seen a bunch of stuff and now I wanna give you some wisdom. He's an old guy now. We do the same thing today, don't we? We look to our heroes, people that we know have lived a certain kind of life. And then when they've made it, they've just, you know that they're good. You wanna listen to what they have to say. So I always am reading quotes by Billy Graham because there was a man that he ran the race good. And the last one I read by him was this. They asked him before he died, they said, what's something you would have done differently in your life? And he said this, I would have taken more chances. I found that fascinating. Here's a man that did incredible things. I would have taken more chances, more risks for Jesus. I thought, man, that's a great, great statement. Me too. Maybe I need to risk more then. So it's kind of like that. Here's Solomon at that age. He's, he's done it. He's lived a lot. And he's saying, let me give you some wisdom. So we did do two messages in this on Sunday. So I'll just kind of, it's a long chapter, but we'll pick up the loose pieces. So first piece of wisdom is this. Sorrow is better than laughter. Look at verse one. A good name is better than precious ointment. And now he's gonna give us how you can get that good name. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. 
and the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh or partying. Wisdom number one from Grandpa Solomon. Sorrow is better than laughter. And is laughing good? It's the best. So Solomon is saying laughter is awesome. It's a gift to humans. I think humans are the only ones that laugh. There's some signs that say maybe other animals do, but I don't think so. Humans are the only people that laugh. Only people, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> humans are the only creatures that laugh, right? So it's this great gift. And Solomon says, hold on a second though. Sorrow is even better than that. And we did this on Sunday. We just talked about death, how important death is and how our culture has moved away from any kind of uh, resonating with death. Uh, Time Magazine though, it was a couple years ago, had this magazine cover. It was how to live a longer, better life. And it had an asterisk. And at the bottom of the magazine, it had in very fine letters, it said this, but you're still gonna die. (laughs) How good is that? How to live a longer, better life, asterisk, you're still gonna die. And here's the idea that Solomon's trying to get in right when he goes for wisdom. He begins with this, death, keep it in mind. Here's why. If you were in Portland tonight and you needed to get somewhere brand new that you'd never been before, what is the first thing you would do before you drove your car? Right? You put your destination in your phone, right? And then you hit directions. You get your goal first before you ever start driving or turning anywhere because that way every turn you make is headed toward the right direction. You're not getting lost in doing circles and wasting time. What Psalm is saying when he gets into the wisdom part of this book, he's saying, you gotta have this goal in mind. You're gonna die. One day you're gonna die. And if you'll keep that in your mind, what happens is it helps you take the right direction in life. It's like Kierkegaard said, that famous philosopher, he said, you have to live life backwards. You have to look out and see, what do I want out there? What are my goals out there so that I can make daily decisions that help keep me on track to my goal? You gotta live life backwards. And one of the big goals Solomon is gonna say in Ecclesiastes is, what do you want engraved on stone over your body. When you're painted up like a clown, put in a box and planted in the ground, what do you want on that stone? Keep that in your mind, always. What are your dreams? I dream that Grants Pass becomes a city set on a hill. That the epidemics that have been known in Grants Pass for generations are broken. Well, okay, how do you start to do that? How do you start to work toward that goal, right? That we become this shining example of the kingdom coming. We're an outpost of heaven right here, right now. I have a dream that I'll walk my three daughters down an aisle and hand them off to a boy I at least like a little bit, (laughs) minimally. (laughs) So what are my decisions today that are getting me to that kind of a thing? I dream of being a granddad and having babies that I will feed lots of sugar and never discipline, and then send them home to my kids. Yeah, revenge, enjoy that, right? I have a dream of being 75 with my wife on the porch, sipping tea and yelling at cars to slow down. So what am I doing today to make sure that goal comes to pass? 
It's what Psalm is saying. Here's the final goal. Always keep that in mind. What do you want engraved in stone above your body when that day comes? Because nothing changes after that. Important, important goal. What are we doing now? Psalm would say. And sorrow is better than laughter when it comes to making those kind of decisions. Sometimes it's good to sit and think. I said, go to funerals, go walk around a graveyard, find a gravestone of somebody your same age and sit there and think, Jesus, how should I live my life? Because sorrow is better than laughter, number one. Number two, rebuke is better than praise. Look at verse five. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Rebuke is better than praise. It was said by a famous kind of prosperity preacher. He said, I'd rather be killed by kindness than saved by correction. I think that has crept into American culture. Most people would rather have a compliment, even if it's not true, than have to do a, a real true correction. We don't want that, do we? I don't like doing it and I don't like hearing it. But Solomon, after years and years of life says, rebuke is better than praise. And the only way that this is ever gonna happen in your life is if you begin to cultivate a hearing ear that someone knows he's approachable, she's approachable, right? And I said this on Sunday, we went through this. I said, the best self-help you have is the community of people that are around you right now. That the people God has put around you that are watching you, walking with you, knowing you, they're the best self-help ever. They're better than any book because they know you. They know you. Like my understanding of this was radically changed when I read this book a number of years ago. It's called The Wisdom of Crowds. And the premise of the book is this, that in a crowd of people like this, there is all this wisdom. And they give some really kind of, you know, interesting facts. Remember the uh, show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You had lifelines, call a friend, uh, phone home, I think, and ask an expert or ask the crowd, right? There's some, like three of them or something. Here's what they found. That if you ask the expert, they got it right 65% of the time. If you ask the crowd, they got it right 91% of the time. That the crowd was wiser than the expert. At Edgewater, I don't want experts. I want you guys. Because <laughs> there's wisdom out there. And very often the group of people that God has put around your life, if you will willingly listen to them, there's wisdom. Every election cycle, did you know this? The political bets that people make when they put their money down, not I think this guy's gonna win or she's gonna win. When they actually put money down, the political betting system always is right about who gets elected. It's better than any polling, any person. No one can beat just random people betting money on who wins elections because there's wisdom in crowds. That that bet always, wherever it is, well, 50%, whatever it is, however betting, I don't even know how betting works. But those bets do better than any polls because there's wisdom in crowds. Are we a kind of people that willingly receive it? And I would say this, you can go a step further as a believer. 
and you ask the people that are around you, hey, I'm trying to learn and grow in Jesus Christ. Are there weaknesses that you see in my life that I need to confess or work on? Or are there strengths that you see in my life that I need to sharpen and get better at? And then don't fight people on it. Just listen, write it down, thank you. It is a great discipline to do. Solomon's right, rebuke is better than praise because you grow. Number three, turtles are better than rabbits. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart, the easy way out. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the proud in spirit is better than the, pr- the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Turtles are better than rabbits. Here's what a rabbit does. A rabbit just jumps into things and then bounces right back out of them. Turtles can't do that, right? So January 2nd, I remember I was driving by Planet Fitness out there on Williams Highway. Packed parking lot January 2nd. I was just there a couple days ago and empty parking spots all over the place. Why? Bunch of rabbits. Bunch of rabbits that went in there like day one and they worked out for eight hours straight and they hurt so bad. They're like, I'm not doing that again. They will January 2nd, 2020, but not this year. That's what rabbits do. Like, ah, I'm just gonna go over, I'm gonna go crazy. Here's what a turtle does. 20 minutes today, 20 minutes tomorrow. If I miss a day, no big deal. I'll do 20 minutes a day after that. That's how you build, that's how you grow. That's how you actually increase in life. Not a rabbit, a turtle. So if you just said, you know what? I'm gonna spend 20 minutes a day reading the Bible. You easily read the Bible in one year. That's not a long time. So you get all of scripture into you in one year, just by 20 minutes. If you miss a day, ain't no problem. I'll do it tomorrow. That's what a turtle does, just slowly, right? Rabbits are like, I'm gonna read the entire Bible today. And they hit Leviticus and they quit. And they start over in January. I'm gonna read the whole Bible. And they hit Leviticus and they quit. Turtles are better. Turtles are better. Like a workout. If you'll just commit to working out 20 minutes a day, that's it. You'll be in great shape. In a couple weeks, couple months, whatever it is, you'll be in great shape. But it says, hey, the surge, do it for a little while, then quit. Sir, don't be a rabbit, be a turtle. Commit, keep it. That's what he's saying. Patience, take steps, finish what you start, do those things. And then verse nine is so good. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Don't be that bouncy dude for anger lodges in the heart of fools. I think the measure of a person is what it takes to get them angry. That you wanna measure yourself, you wanna evaluate where you're at. What does it take to get you angry? If you have a flash temper like that, boom, just look out. Man, there's something broken in you that you need to check out. It's foolish. The measure of a man or a woman is what makes you angry. It's been said like this, we're all tea bags. It takes some hot water to figure out what flavor we are. 
What happens when you're in hot water? Do you flash off? Do you get bitter and angry? What happens? That's a measure. Psalm would say, use anger to measure where you're at. If, 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 if it's coming all the time, you're probably a fool. Repent. Ask for Jesus to cleanse you and to change you. Stop that. Number four, today is better than yesterday. Verse 10, say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. (laughs) I love that. Do Do you know the problem with nostalgia? It's not what it used to be right? (laughs) That one will grow on you. You'll get it. Someone will crack up in about five minutes. Solomon just says, it's a stupid question, right? Don't even ask the question. It's a stupid question. I know people that love the 19 or the 1880s rather. I wish I was born like in 1880. Like really? The life expectancy in the 1800s is like 42 years of age. You'd be dead right now. Why would you want to live there? right? I wish Y2K had happened. Really? Do you really wish it had happened? Yeah, take us back to the Stone Ages. You're nuts, man. People are dying all the time of like scurvy and what we cure with $2 in antibiotics. Really? You want to live back then? I don't think so. So we had this like this made up thing about the past, right? And here's the other thing that always bothers me. Nobody was bad at sports in high school, right? Man, I was all pro, man. Could have gone, played college, but you know, I decided not to. Really? I mean, everyone can't be all pro. Everyone can't be all state, right? But everyone is. No one's like, bro, I was so bad at terrible. I was terrible at football. Like they wouldn't give me cleats or pads. I had the jersey, no pads. They're like, do not get on the field, period. That was my rule. Like no one ever says that, but there was the guy like that, right? So that's the problem that Solomon's addressing here. It's like the, it, the problem with looking back is we rewrite it for our own advantage, That's what we're always doing. In our own minds, we make the past seem so much better than it actually was. And be careful of that. Solomon says, it's just a stupid, stupid exercise. If there was, in the Bible, there's one period that's the good old days. You know what it is? Genesis one and two. Everything after Genesis one and two, bad days. Like if you think ancient times were great, read the book of Judges. It's one of the most brutal, horrific books in the Bible. Just honest. Here's what happens when people do what people do. It's horrific and gross and disgusting. It will heal you of every want, ever wanting go, to go back to the 1880s. You're like, no thanks. That's a brutal, horrific time. No way. There's only one place to live. Do you know what it is? The present. Right now. That's the only place to live. And I have conversations with people. But they'll tell me, oh, Matt, I used to be a missionary or I used to lead Bible studies or I used to be a pastor or fill in the blank. And I'll be like, hey, that is so great. But what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Too often we can use the past as like a cushion. We're like, oh, I did that before. I don't need to do it anymore. Really? Is that the Christian life? You did it once and now you just check out? I don't think so. I think we're supposed to be making every day great. Like today, I want today to be great. Well, Matt, 1970s, there's this great revival. Well, why can't that be today? 
Why aren't we praying? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has the same desire for people. Why aren't we saying and expecting great revival today? Not looking back and being like, oh, I wish it was the 1970s. No, it's 2019. Let's pray for and be expecting revival today. Man, that's the only way to live. Like one of my life verses is Proverbs 4.18, where it says this, the path of the just will grow brighter and brighter until that day. I live that verse. I just expect tomorrow to be brighter than today. Why? Because I've been made righteous by my king. And he began a kingdom 2000 years ago that the gates of hell will not prevail against. And that he has great plans for me and for you, exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. So why wouldn't I live like that? That's how I wanna live, just like that. Be involved, go for it. Don't be looking in the past and using it as an excuse to not live in the present. Because today is better than yesterday. Number seven, number six, number five, way ahead. Wisdom is better than money. Verse 11, wisdom is good with an inheritance. Ever seen somebody that was not wise get an inheritance? Google um, tragic lottery winners. Ever Google that? Guy named Jack Whitaker. So in 2002, he won the biggest lottery at that time. It was $315 million. Just dirt poor to $315 million. Eight years later, when he's being sued by a casino for not paying his bill, he said, I wish I would have tore up that ticket. His daughter died of an overdose. His granddaughter, who he and his wife were raising, died of an overdose. Her boyfriend died of an overdose. It just, it's, a, it's a horrific story. Just in eight years. Why? Because he had money without wisdom. I think, I think lotteries are set up to make people failure. I don't think they ever do what they're supposed to do. They don't ever help people, right? There is a way that you, you make money and you learn about money and you have wisdom with money and it just short circuits all that. And look out. That's what Solomon is saying, look out. Wisdom is good with an inheritance. An advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? We looked at this a little bit on Sunday. Uh, the only one that can make you and me straight, like it's this question and it's Isaiah, prophetic about Jesus, he can straighten out the crookedness in you and me, all right? So, number six, and this one's a question. Is prosperity better than adversity? Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Is prosperity better than adversity? I say we need them both. That when things are good, Solomon just says, be happy, enjoy it. And when things are hard, think. When things are good, enjoy. When things are bad, consider or think. 
Here's what often happens. When things are good, instead of enjoying it, we get worried about when they'll get bad, right? So instead of just enjoying, man, it's really good right now. Then it's like, uh uh-oh, bad times are coming though. Man, the economy could go down. China could attack us. Iran could come from us. What if the Green New Deal passes? I won't be able to fly on an airplane anymore. I won't be able to drive my car. My vintage Volkswagen won't have gas. What if, what if, what if we become like Venezuela, right? Instead of just saying, man, today is good. Let's enjoy it. We get all wrapped up. And so Solomon's just like, if the day is good, enjoy it. Just enjoy the day. Hey, this is a good day. I can't control all that stuff. But you know what? Man, I can enjoy today. And if things are bad, pray, think, consider, and say, how can I grow through this? Right? You know, tree rings. Like if you cut off a tree, there's the thick kind of pulpy part of a tree ring. And it's the massive growth that happens in spring and when things are wet and beautiful and green and wonderful. And then there's that little thin, hard as rock part of the tree ring that actually grows when it's hard and adverse and bad. And that hard piece gives the tree its strength to take the winter storm. You gotta have both. You gotta have growth, no doubt. But you need the strength that comes from adversity. So is prosperity better than adversity? I don't know. Is ice cream better than kale? I don't know, man. Is ice cream better? If you want to die. Is kale better? If you want to be boring your whole life, right? You need both. (laughs) You need ice cream flavored kale or kale flavored ice cream or whatever it is. That's what you need. Balance. We need them both. God has made them both. Number seven, fear of God is the best religion. And we did this on Sunday and it's a little preview of what's coming. So he says this, verse 15. In my vain life, I have seen everything. Such a, isn't that the most funny statement? In my empty, stupid life, I've seen everything. Like, well, all right. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. This is the craziest advice in the world. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is a good thing that you take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. We did this on Sunday. Solomon begins now in the wisdom part to hint at what will be the conclusion to his book. Fear God, fear God and keep his commands. So it's a little bit of a preview of, I'm gonna tell you that right now, if you fear God, you're not gonna be in in one of these crazy camps. It'll keep you balanced the way that you're supposed to. But we'll talk about that later. Number nine, the meek are better than the mighty, verse 19. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 
do not take to heart all the things that people say. Every person should have it underlined. Do not take to heart all the things that people say. Some you should, some you shouldn't. Lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. And I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? The meek are better than the mighty. So he begins in verse 19 by saying, wisdom is better than 10 rulers. So in your mind right now, think of your top 10 presidents of the United States of America. Just make your list. Psalm would say, wisdom is better than them. Wisdom is better than all that. Wisdom goes over the top of that. And then he begins to talk about, hey, here's a wise thing to know. No one's perfect. There's no one who does good always and never, never sins. That people who talk about sin in the third person, look out for them. People that say, I would never, probably actually are. So be careful of those kind of people, right? And then he says this. He says, you yourself know that many times you've cursed others. I love that verse. It's my me too movement. And what I mean by that is this. When something happens that I don't like that someone else does to me, what I do now in my heart is I say, me too. I've done that same thing. When someone pulls out in front of me or drives erratically, I have to tell myself, me too, I've done that. I've driven like that, me too. Like there's a part of the disciples of Jesus, it's a verse that I love. It's Mark 14, 19. And the disciples, were they good guys or bad guys? Yes, yeah, right? I mean, how many times did Jesus say, ye of little faith? It becomes their nickname. Whenever Jesus says little faith, they're like, yeah, what do you want? Me, you call me? Right, just because they've blown it so many times. But toward the end, it's the last supper. Jesus looks at him and says, one of you will betray me tonight. And it says that the disciples looked at each other and they said, is it I? Is it I? They understood the brokenness of their own heart thinking, man, could I do that? Could I do that? Me too, me too. Like I have my own problems. I could do this. That when someone says something that I think, man, I, that, that hurt me, I think I've done that to somebody else. And it's the healthiest way to live. That meekness is so good in your heart. Me too, I've done that. And now with social media, like the ability to be hurt is a billion fold from the times of Solomon, right? Because people can say something or make a comment or something and there's no voice inflection. There's no like, no one does, you know, it's all texting lingo. So you can't get like, even like with exclamation point, question mark, what are they saying here? And it's very easy to take stuff wrong. Like the internet, I, it's been compared to this. Uh, the zoo with the monkeys in a cage. What do monkeys in a cage do all the time? Right, they throw their, that's what the internet is. Just lots of that happening. And so you have to be very careful about how you use the internet because it's gonna happen and you have to decide, you have to make some decisions. Guess what? I've done this to other people. Or you'll get super hurt. So Solomon is saying, 
The key, like when it comes to wisdom, is not might and fighting people. The key is a meek attitude, understanding I've done the same thing to other people. Give them more grace than you give to yourself because the meek are better than the mighty. And then he ends by saying this, men are better than women. (laughs) Matt at edgewaterfellowship.org, go ahead. And I'll try to explain this. Let's read now that I get your interest. Verse 25, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. Remember, death has been how we started this thing. He goes, I just found something worse than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, and I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes." I almost did this text on Sunday. Yeah, it would have been so fun. (laughs) So he begins by saying, death, that this event that's gonna happen to everybody, keep it in your brain, live life backwards, Kierkegaard, that whole kind of idea. And then he says, you know what? But I found something even more bitter than death. The worst thing I can imagine is death. And I found something worse, the wrong kind of woman, right? That's what he says. And I would balance that by saying, I could edit the wrong kind of man, right? That there are worse things, I tell this to people all the time, there's a worse thing than being single. I deal with them all the time, right? I married the wrong person, whatever it is. Oh no, right? And I say, I think this, for me personally, if I was to write Ecclesiastes, I'd put it the other way, I'd reverse it. Because I've done enough premarital counseling that, that I would say this, um, rarely have I found a godly guy with a sorry gal. But if I had a nickel for every time a godly gal gets sucked into the life of a sorry dude, man, I'd be rich. I'd buy a baseball bat. I'd do something with it. <laughs> right? That, that's, the, that's the pattern today. Maybe it was different for Solomon or maybe just Solomon's jaded, but that, that's, the, that's the thing today. And I think Solomon's jaded right here. That he's lamenting because he did sex wrong. He did it wrong. So scholars say this, that Solomon probably wrote Song of Solomon as a young man when he found his bride and he pursued her. And it's this beautiful love story and it's awesome. But then because of lust or maybe power, right? Some of his marriages were marrying women from other countries to seal peace agreements. So for whatever reason, lust or power or whatever it was in Solomon, he ends up with a thousand women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he says this in verse 28, 
Man, out of, a, out of a thousand men, I found one good one. But out of a thousand women, I didn't find one. To me, that's one of the most damning texts on this whole idea we have in our nation today that says this, there's the one out there for you. There's the one out there. Your soulmate is out there for you. Do not listen to that. There's no such thing as a soulmate. That does not exist, right? If there was a soulmate, one person screwed up like 500 years ago and everything's messed up now from that, right? It just doesn't work. There's no such thing. And if you believe that, if you believe there's a soulmate for you, then guess what? You will find him or her riding a unicorn talking to Sasquatch. If you find that, I will agree. Okay, you found your soulmate, no doubt. But that's where they're at. It doesn't exist, right? My soulmate is the one I said yes to. Back January 15th, 2000. That's my soulmate, period. Why? Because I said yes to her. She becomes my soulmate. She becomes the one. The Bible never uses soulmate. It uses helpmate. The one that's there to help us and grow us and do all that stuff, right? So just, it's, it's dumb. So Solomon missed out on this opportunity he had for two souls to grow together. There's a Hebrew word for it, it's called dode, the intermingling of souls. He missed out and instead chose a thousand women that now he can't even stand, hasn't found one in them because he no longer has any friends. He doesn't have somebody to grow old with, to talk to, to share grandbabies with. He doesn't have any of that because he chose this other route. He missed out. It's a bummer. And here's what saddens me today. Men have a thousand women on their phone. They have their own harem walking around with them. And they're looking at stuff they should not look at. And one day they'll wake up and they'll miss their wife. And they'll say, what happened to me? Well, he chose the wrong way. He chose Solomon's way. And now what God wanted for you the incredible thing you need, you've missed out on it. I tell people this. They're telling me, I don't know, you know, wrong person. I say, no, no, you don't need a new marriage, right? You, you don't need a new person. You need a new marriage to the same person. That Jesus can resurrect whatever you have killed and broken. Like he is able to resurrect and rebuild it. I've watched it happen. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. But like Psalm begins this chapter with, he goes, you gotta have a goal. What do you want written on your gravestone? I say the same thing with marriage. What is the goal you have? What's the idea you have behind? When you think about why am I getting married? What's the reason? And we have this idea now that marriage is fairy tale love, right? It's gonna be strawberries and chocolate and champagne every single day because I wanna be happy. That is not marriage, right? There may be strawberry and there may be chocolate and that's awesome, but there's also gonna be Halloween when it's not in October, right? There's gonna be those days as well. And verse 14 would say, you need both. Enjoy it when it's strawberries and guess what? Grow when it's Halloween and it's not October. Like both of those things are super healthy for you and me. The goal of marriage is never happiness. The goal of marriage is holiness. And so Adam was told, you need help in this. You need help in this process of growing and becoming holy. I mean, put somebody in your life that they're gonna come together and they're gonna ask and question and you're gonna walk together and you're gonna grow in holiness. And the byproduct of holiness is guess what? Happiness. Read Hebrews 1 verse nine, where it says this, that you loved righteousness and you hated wickedness. Therefore, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. When you're hating wickedness, that garbage, and you're loving righteousness, that's holiness. Therefore, 
you get gladness in the mix. If you aim at the right goal, oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But Matt, I'm not in love with my wife anymore. I love that one. It's such a myth. Ephesians 5, 25 says this, husbands love your wife. So I looked at that today. I just want to look at love. It's agape, no doubt, but it's actually a verb there. And the verb tense is an imperative. You know what an imperative is? It's a command, right? So we can say whatever we want about how, how agape gets formed and it is a fruit of God's spirit, no doubt, but it's actually a command there. Husbands love your wife. It is a command, it's an imperative. Any man that's following Jesus is commanded, you also love your wife. But I just don't feel like I want to love her. Okay? Jesus also says, love your neighbor. Who's your closest neighbor? Your wife. Love your wife. Well, she's not my neighbor anymore. I moved out. Okay, fine. Jesus says, by this, all men shall know you are my disciples, by your love one for another. Love her like a sister in Christ. I'm not sure if she's saved. Okay, fine. Jesus says, love your enemy. Like, I don't care where you go. I'm telling you. You will not escape from the Bible's mandate to love your wife, period. And listen, God's command to love your wife is not him saying, yeah, I'm gonna force you to do this. It's him saying, the reaping and the benefits of you investing in her soul are gonna pay back so many dividends. Matt, understand that, that my commands are not grievous. This is to bring you more joy than you could possibly even understand. So love your wife. And we say, okay, okay, I hope. But he ends cryptically in verse 29, the angst is back. See this alone I found, that God made man upright, Genesis 1 and 2. But they have sought out many schemes, schema, the the, I won't even get to that, but there's a, there's a way you could see how this scheme is actually used in the New Testament and linked in with spiritual powers. Schemes. That we take the upright, beautiful, incredible world that God has made, and then we make all these excuses why we can't do it, and we grow crooked, crooked right? We take this good gift of sex. Like, it's God's gift to a husband and wife. It's a great gift. Beautiful. Like it was not God goes to the garden and is like, Adam, what are you doing to Eve? Get off of her right now. That did not happen. He made it, he designed it, it's a good gift. But then man grabs it and schemes with it and grows crooked and ruins him. Men were never, ever designed to have sex with a body. They were designed to make love to a soul. And when that happens, it's beautiful and wonderful. And when it doesn't, it's crooked and gross. And Solomon is an example of that. That's why he's so jaded now on women. Like we take the good gifts of God and we just, we crush them and use them in the wrong ways. Like I was just reading this study and this is totally off the subject, but it's university, university, Wisconsin, a university there. <laughs> they, there's this guy that did this study. It was in 1993. And they found that people who listened to classical music scored higher on their SAT scores. So very like just, you know, Crazy study, but then all of a sudden it got into the media. And the media is like, oh my goodness, classical music, right? So Georgia, the state of Georgia, 
mandated every baby that goes home, goes home with this CD of classical music. Why? Because if they play this classical music to this baby, it's gonna be smarter and higher sad chords, right? You guys remember that? Like the baby box stuff? It's kind of fading now, but there was a period of time where it was like, you just play in the womb. They had a way, they had this instrument that you could buy that kind of surrounded your womb and just bombarded that fetus or the unborn child with classical music because you can come out smarter. And, and I cracked up because they said this, the, the whole emphasis behind this wasn't like to make kids happier or live better lives or love their neighbors. The whole thing was higher SAT score, getting to Harvard, make more money. I thought, isn't that humans? Like we scheme, we scheme in with babies, right? It's not, hey, I want you to grow up and contribute and love life and enjoy the good days. It's, I want you to take the raw material of earth and I want you to use it for power. Like it's nuts. We scheme and we destroy our own lives. And so, yeah, husbands love your wives, but we'll scheme. And so that's why the Bible says, you gotta have a savior. That without a savior, we're gonna scheme. That's what we're gonna do. And that we have to keep coming back to a prayer that I pray all the time. Jesus, these are the deepest desires of my heart, but I have this schemer up here. Save me from it. Save me from it so I get what I truly want. 75 years of age, feeding grandbabies too much sugar, sending them home and yelling at traffic with the woman that I love. Help me do that. And the great thing is, he'll do it. He'll do it. So Jesus, this day. Forgive me for scheming. May we be a people that live life backwards. That put the goal in. Holiness. Christ-likeness, to be lovers, to be meek. May we put the, the destination in first so we know how to drive. May you, even now, in each person that's in here tonight, may you be shutting down the schemer that is going on, that's gonna take and abuse and misuse the good gifts that you've given to us. And may we be a people that live wise lives, lives that look like you, lives that are full of patience and kindness and compassion and joy and gladness, front-loading acceptance of people, loving our neighbor as ourself, loving our enemies May we do those things. So empower us, enable us. May we walk out of here wiser. And we ask this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.